Welcome to the Revel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us for yet another adventure. Today, we wander west, around the bend from the middle of nowhere, to a small town renowned for there being more spirits than residents. A few years back, we visited a small mining town, now almost a ghost town, called Tonopah, Nevada. A little over 2,000 people call this town home, and they do a wonderful job at preserving the past. The town is roughly 220 miles south of Reno, and 210 miles north of Las Vegas. Middle of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't, there's not really a lot of stuff, uh, grocery stores around that area. So if you're going, plan on having food and things. (laughs) Yeah. So before it was a mining town, it was called Tonopah Springs and was used as the Native American campground. There are several stories of how gold was discovered in the area, but we're going to share the most popular story with you. Well, on May 19, 1900, Jim Butler was camping in the area. His donkey wandered off, and when he went to find him, the donkey was standing in an outcropping that looked to be full of silver. Jim gathered up a sample of it and headed to Klondike to have the assayer take a look at it. The assayer told him the samples were garbage and that they were full of iron. Oddly enough, though, the assayer kept his samples. On his way back to his Monitor Valley Ranch, Jim decided to stop in the area one more time and get another sample, just in case, you know. Mm -hmm. He took the sample back with him and placed it in the windowsill of his cabin. A short time later, his friend Tasker Odie came to visit him. Odie saw the sample and offered to pay for another assay with a different person. Jim agreed and told him that he could have a quarter interest in anything that was found. Odie thought this was a great idea, so he took the sample to William Gayhard in Austin, Nevada. Odie offered him a quarter of his quarter as payment for looking at the sample. Will ran the test on the sample, and it came back that there was $600 a ton. Yeah, today that's about twenty-one grand a so ton. That's a good amount. Yeah, that's fair. So Odie sent a runner back to Jim to let him know the findings. Well, Jim was in the middle of his hay harvest when he received word, so he didn't file a claim on the site until he was finished harvesting his hay. Hay comes first. <laughs> he knows he's going to make money off of his harvest, I guess. That'll yeah. Makes some sense. He wasn't as uh, excited. Yeah. Perhaps. Two conflicting opinions on what he has. Well, word of the discovery quickly spread to Klondike, and soon prospectors were searching the area for Butler's discovery. Yeah, they were calling it Butler's Load. <laughs> and this is how we start. <laughs> we're, what, three minutes into the episode here? Well, it wasn't until August 27, 1900, that Jim and his wife finally filed on eight claims near the area. Lucky for him, no one had found the area he pulled his samples from. Of the eight claims he made, six of them turned out to be very profitable. These would be the Desert Queen, Burro, Valley View, Silvertop, Buckboard, and Mitzvah. By October that year, Camp Butler was formed and work began on his claims. On Christmas Day, 1900, Jim decided he was going to lease out all his claims for one year to the 14 men living in the area. Jim Butler and Tasker Audi were partners, and they received a quarter royalty on all gold and silver mined from Jim's claims. Men started to come from all over to mine the Butler claims. By January of the next year, 40 men were living in the camp. The first stagecoach arrived from Sotoville on March 24th in 1901, bringing with them more men and supplies. 
By this time, roughly 60 men were living in the area, and within a few more weeks, there were up to 250 men. So a lot of people moving in real quick. Mm -hmm. At this time, they didn't even have places for men to stay, only a few shacks and tents. On April 10th, 1901, the Butler Post Office opened for business. The name for the post office was changed to Tonopah in 1905. Within a year, the town of Butler had pulled out almost $750,000 in gold and silver. Which that's roughly $26.6 million today. That's a good chunk of money in one year. Yep, that's a good haul. The town now had six saloons, restaurants, essay offices, hotels, doctor's offices, and even lawyers, of course. On June 15th. Probably a lot of lawyers. Yeah. You know, a lot of claim disputes and all that kind of stuff <laughs> happens real fast. I'm sure they chase these things. Well, on June 15th, 1901, the first issue of the Tonopah Bonanza newspaper was published. They were quickly turning into the place to be in Nevada if you wanted to make some money. By 1902, Jim Butler had sold out all his claims to the Tonopah Mining Company. In July of 1905, a narrow-gauge railroad was completed. A few months later, it was upgraded to a standard-gauge rail line so it could bring in passenger trains and extended to Goldfield. It was named the Tonopah and Goldfield Railroad. By 1907, the town had grown to have five banks, several hotels, electric and water companies, several newspapers, and even an opera house. The main street of town was changing from a once haphazard town to an actual town with buildings made of stone and brick, with some of them as tall as four or five stories. Towards the end of 1907, all the railroad lines in the area were connected and Tonopah became a major stop on the route. A passenger could now get a ride from Las Vegas to Reno with a stop in Tonopah, which was probably a big deal back then yeah. to have that. It enhances their commerce quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, mining continued in the area from 1900 to 1921, with almost $121 million being pulled out of the mountain. So that would be just shy of two billion by the 1921 conversion. Yeah, so likely over going back to the 20-year difference from 1900 to 1921. So I just based all that right off of what it would have been in 1921. Yeah. Would have been higher going back for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, the town boomed between 1910 and 1914 with over $8 million of materials being pulled from the mines annually. Which is just over $238 million today. A year for four years. <laughs> the biggest year for production was in 1913 when almost 10 million bucks was removed from the area, making it one of the richest mining districts in the West. And that would have been over $300 million in one year today. So a lot of this money they pulled out would have left the town, right? Uh, we didn't see anything that they were processing the ore there in town, so... But, like I'm saying, like, why would a town be able to pull that much money out of the mountain and then turn into a ghost town? It doesn't make sense sometimes to me. Oh, well, because the mines dry up. Yeah, I don't know. In my mind, it's like, why don't you keep reinvesting it back into the town to make the town more self-sufficient and not need the mine anymore? But I guess if your whole town's based upon it... Yeah, if that's the only reason for the town when there's no more reason to be there than yeah. time to get. Yeah, that makes sense. They're not fishing in the area or anything, you know? Yeah, so. raising cattle or anything. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, there's not much else out there. Well, the town began to slow down during the Depression. Many of the large mines continued to be active until World War II. By 1947, all major mines had closed and Tonopah and Goldfield Railroad folded. Well, the closing of gold mines was part of the government forbidding anything that was not essential to the war to halt production, focusing all efforts towards the war. 
So pretty much anything that was a non-essential industry had to be shut down. So gold and silver was non-essential. They mm -hmm. needed copper and iron. It's the same thing that killed Oatman, Arizona. It was a gold mine, and during this shutdown, yeah. the town went to a ghost town. And that also was what kept the copper mines of Butte alive that we just talked about, why they became so prosperous at this ideal time to get into it. Yeah. Well, the rail lines were pulled up, and a fire burned down the depot in 1980. All that is left of the railroad is the foundation of both the roundhouse and the turntable in Miller, some 10 miles west of Tonopah, hmm. as well as the wooden trestles that was built to get material out of the Mitzbaum mine. They had to build the um, roundhouse and the turntable in Miller because Tonopah wasn't level enough for it. Mm, yeah. So they had to put it down in a level area, but it was still considered the Tonopah. Yeah. Hit so, 10 miles down the road, turn around, come yeah. back. Um, and I, you can actually still see the trestles if you're interested by visiting the Tonopah Historic Mining Park. So yeah. that's kind of cool. And they've saved them. Right. Well, today the Tonopah relies mostly on tourism. And there's quite a few fun things to do and see in town. The Central Nevada Museum takes you back in time where you get to see exhibits about the history of Central Nevada. They have an outdoor exhibit that is set up like an old west town with miners cabins, a blacksmith shop, saloon, and a railroad yard. They also show you early mining equipment that was used to pull the materials out of the mountains. Admission is free, and according to the website, they're open Tuesday through Saturday from 9 to 5. If you're interested in a more in-depth tour of the mines, you can visit the Tonopah Historic Mining Park. The park is located on more than 100 acres. This is so cool. And it is the site of the original mining claims that Jim Butler staked out. You'll get to see the original buildings, peer down a 500-foot mine shaft. Mm. You can walk down the burrow tunnel where you can stand on a still cage suspended over the original mine shaft. They offer self-guided tours, or if you have more time, you can take a two-hour tour on a side-by-side. -side. Sounds super fun. Mm -hmm. um, you will want to check the website for more up-to-date information on times and costs. Yeah, they might not be running in the winter. Who knows what? Yeah. Well, the thing that brought us to Tonopah and consequently brings us to a lot of ghost towns is the haunted side of things. <laughs> We're not avid ghost hunters, but we do enjoy the haunted side of things, and it also takes us to a lot of fun places. Yeah. We booked us a room at the Mitzbah Hotel located in the heart of downtown Tonopah, which is not much. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> uh, more now. Yeah, it's at 100 North Main Street. So let's tell you some history of the hotel before we get into the paranormal. U.S. Senator George Nixon, George Wingfield, Cal Brower, and Bob Govan got together and wanted to build a high-class hotel in town. Construction for the hotel began in 1907, replacing the former one-story mitzvah saloon and grill. They hired architect Morrill J. Curtis to design and oversee the building of the new hotel. The total cost was $200,000, and the grand opening was on November 17, 1908. So that two hundred grand would be about six and a half million bucks today. Yeah, we were joking earlier. There's no way you could build a hotel for six hundred five million today. Yeah, not not even six point five million either. You could <laughs> yeah. probably do it for six hundred and five, but not six point five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Tonopah Daily Bonanza wrote the following day about the hotel, stating: Suite, single rooms, rooms for private business meetings, baths, lavatories, steam hot and cold water, and electric and gas service all are complete. Nor does the weary one have to climb stairs, for an electric elevator runs from basement to garret. 
and should the guest desire, he can stroll into the office, state that he wants to be fed, bathed, and put to bed. All of these things will be attended to for him. <laughs> the hotel is five floors and was the tallest hotel at the time in Nevada for five floors. Mm-hmm. With one of the first elevators in the state as well. It had leaded glass windows, solid oak furniture, brass chandeliers, and stained glass windows. It was the place to stay if you were of the elite class during the time. Tasker Odie, who helped Jen Butler put Tone upon the map, continued to remain an active part of the town, and he eventually became the governor of Nevada and later a U.S. senator. Well, he loved to stay at this hotel. Wyatt Earp was rumored to have stayed here for a time with his friend Tex Richard, legendary heavyweight champion from 1919 to 1926. Jack Dempsey worked as a bouncer here from time to time, and the dining room is actually named after him. Awesome. Well, the 1913 to 1940 U.S. Senator from Nevada, Key Pittman, was a frequent guest at the hotel. Legend has it that Senator Pittman died of a heart attack on the eve of the 1940 election while staying at the mitzvah. His supporters kept his body on ice until the election was over and his successor could be appointed. That's funny. Mm -hmm. The cafe is now named after him. In 1968, billionaire Howard Hughes bought 100 claims in Tonopah. Core samples were taken in the area and nothing more was done. Not worth his uh, time evidently, on the yeah. return. Uh, but he must have loved the area because he was secretly married to actress Jean Peters in the Mitzbah Hotel. Um, they only found $600,000, or uh, yeah, $600 and a ton in the core samples in today's money when he did his samples. Not the $26 million he was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> Boy, we're going to have some good ones through this, huh? I know. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the hotel passed through several hands throughout the years. In 1940s, gambling was brought back to the hotel. By 1945, the hotel had its own casino chips to play on a roulette wheel, a craps table. That's the one you throw the dice at, right? Mm -hmm. uh, blackjack or 80 various slot machines. Until its doors were closed in 1999. That's kind of sad they had to close the doors. Mm -hmm. Well, don't worry. In 2011, Fred and Nancy Klein of Sonoma, California purchased the hotel. They began a major renovation project to return the hotel to its former glory. They reopened the 52-room hotel that same year with a full bar, gambling in the lobby, and a dining room. So what makes the Mitzvah Hotel so haunted? Aside from Senator Pittman may have having a heart attack in the hotel, causing him to pass away and then be put on ice. <laughs> there are also stories of a lady in red that haunts the building, a soldier wandering the hallways, and perhaps the scariest of all, children running around. <laughs> it's terrifying. Children. The pair of children are said to haunt the third floor. They're often heard playing and giggling in the hallway. Rascals. The soldier is said to hang out on the fourth floor. When he passed away there, no one knew his identity at the time. The basement of the hotel is even haunted. Two miners used the underground network of old mine tunnels that were located beneath the hotel. They were able to dig through the hotel's floor and make it into the safe. The men took everything out of the safe, but they were not able to get out of the building alive. 
Later, their dead bodies were found in the tunnel system, but surprisingly, they didn't have any cash on them. It is thought that there may have been a third person involved in the robbery, and after the men got the money, the third person killed them so that he could have it all. It is believed that the men are still in the basement and upset about losing all their money. They've had time to tell somebody what happened if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, the intrigue that brought us to the haunted mitzvah was the lady in red. As often happens with ladies in red, right? (laughs) It was believed that she went by the name Rose. Rose was a working gal, but she wasn't just any working gal. She was a very high-class working gal. She had a suite in the hotel located on the fifth floor. One terrible night, Rose was murdered by her jealous ex-lover. Story we hear too often with these gals. Mm -hmm. He strangled her, then he stabbed her several times. Over time, her suite was turned into three different rooms, which are now room 502, 503, and 504. Which that'd be a pretty big suite for her to have... Yeah. What they were able to break up into three rooms. Yeah. yeah that's why they called it a suite, because mm-hmm. it was sweet, dude. <laughs> room 504 is known as the Lady in Red Room with red curtains and a canopy bed, but there's a more uh, paranormal activity, I guess, in room 502. Yeah. Well, even though Rose met her and brutally by men, several male guests have reported hearing a sweet female voice whispering to them. Did you hear any? There were reports of guests smelling her perfume, objects being moved in their room, and even pearls being left under their pillow. We got no pearl either. Nope. I forgot to put in here, but she does like to mess around with the elevator as well. Oh. And so the doors will like just randomly open and nobody will be there. Mm-hmm. But they feel like it was because she would go down into the basement to get the men And then she'd bring them up to her suite and take them to her room. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, maybe she's still going down and getting men and bringing them up. She's still working. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, when we stayed the night, we were on the fourth floor. We did let Rose know we were there. And if she wanted to come visit us, we were okay with that. But we never got to see Rose. We didn't even hear the kids playing or even see the soldier. Yeah, we made sure to visit the spot in the hallway that was reportedly where her body was found. Puddles mm-hmm. of blood and everything. <laughs> they cleaned it out. They did, yeah. We didn't really get to see anything. There's no tape, body tape marks. Not when we got there anyway. <laughs> uh, we walked the halls, taking pictures, making sure to get uh, shots of the mirrors in the hallway, all that. But alas, we got nothing. I know. Well, if you're interested in spending the night at the hotel, you can get on their website and book you a room. And if you want the Lady in Red room, it is a little more money than the other rooms. It's about a thousand bucks, right? No. Oh. <laughs> I looked like for like from a Monday through a Friday or something. Mm. I didn't look at the weekends. Um, and it was like 140 bucks for the Lady in Red room. But then for just like a standard room, I think it was like $100. Hmm. So not too much more to have that room. Yeah. You just have to book ahead and know that that's what you're doing. When we find a lot of places, we're passing through. Yes. And so that's we why we make a lot of weird random stops. Like, Let's just stay here. <laughs> this is a good spot. Yeah. Yep. That's why we ended up not being able to stay on the fifth floor was because we booked it like a week before. <laughs> yeah. Well, across the street from the Mitzbah Hotel is the Tonopah Liquor Company. In 1906, the Tonopah Liquor Company opened up shop, and it has remained the same ever since. Kind of, I think that's so cool that they've mm-hmm. kept to its true roots. Yeah. Though the owners have changed several times through the years, it was and still is a bar. 
On the second floor of the building at one time was a brothel. <laughs> this is the red light district. Well, a, a gal named Hattie or Henrietta used to work upstairs here. Though she has passed away some probably some time ago, uh, her spirit <laughs> still remains at the bar. She loves children and even interacts with the owner's kids. George Devil Davis likes to hang out by the pool table, and he's known to be a bit of a prankster. He likes to turn the lights off and is even known to take the corks out of the liquor bottles. Can't let it go. A spirit playing with spirits. <laughs> there's your dad joke. I got one for us. Don't worry. Well, when we were in Santa Fe, we saw they were renting the upstairs out. I have since been looking online to see if you can rent it, and I have not been able to find anything. Um, you were saying that yeah, you remember. Be, it was on Airbnb. Yeah. And years ago when I'd first heard of it, I was looking at it, and it was something kind of ridiculous. You had to book like four or five days in a row in order to get a yeah. booking up there. I'm like. There's not four or five days worth of stuff to do. We could we could stretch it out. Yeah. You know, going through particular uh, grave sites and things like that, you know, looking for individual people, stuff like that. We could definitely mm -hmm. stretch it out, but it wasn't a justified stay. An yeah. overnight would have been fine. Yeah. So I'll have to look again to see knowing now that it, you have to have like maybe five days. Because I think I was only looking for like two days when I was looking on the Airbnb mm -hmm. website. So I'll have to look and see if it is still available. And I find it before we post this. We'll put it in the show notes for you guys. Right. So, Well, we did stop by for a drink and spent some time wandering around in the bar. But we never got to meet any of the, the ghosts there. Mm -hmm. Kind of sad. Well, the TLC is your typical small-town local bar where everyone knows everyone in there, but they are happy to meet new people. The new owners moved to Tonopah from Las Vegas, and they're very active members in the community. They host a whiskey tasting night, which seems kind of fun after you get like 100 whiskey tastings on your name, and you get put on a board. And I think they said there was only like four or five people that have their name up there that have actually been to a hundred of their tastings. Oh, wow. <laughs> kind of fun. Um, they also have the only public pool table in town. So a lot of people go there for a pool mm -hmm. and they're open till about midnight. Plus the drinks were reasonably priced. Well, after hanging out at the bar, we went back to our room to see if Rose would come and stop by the lady in red. The next morning we checked <laughs> out of the, the hotel. No, I don't. Okay. We had to pause and she looked up the lady in red song. And she forgot that this was her favorite song ever. <laughs> and she touched me. You liked it. Lady in red. The next morning we checked out of the hotel and continued on our trip. But no stop in a small town would be complete without a stop at the cemetery. Tonopah has two cemeteries. Old Tonopah Cemetery and, if you can guess it, New Tonopah Cemetery. <laughs> well, our first stop was at the old one, which is right next to the Clown Motel. Uh, we'll tell you about that motel here in a little bit. Yeah. The old cemetery was founded in 1901 and closed 10 years later in 1911. Folks claim to hear weird noises coming from the cemetery. The reports of strange lights and even full-body apparitions have been seen there. We went during the day and spent about an hour and didn't see or hear Anything. Nope. Except for the wind blowing. Yeah. Well, the cemetery was closed down not due to overcrowding, but because the tailings from the Tonopah extension vine were spilling over in and destroying the headstones. 
The mine wanted to expand their operations, so they donated the land for the new cemetery, and that one's still in use today. I did see that in the old Tonopah Cemetery. There was a recent burial as of like 2011, but the guy had to get special permission, and his family was buried in that cemetery. So they were like original pioneers to the area, and he was like one of the last living ones. Yeah, special exception. Yeah. It's very cool. I know. I think that was kind of fun. So, well, this cemetery, the old cemetery, has no grass or trees. It's just dirt and tumbleweeds. So, mm. plan on having boots on. The town has done a great job preserving the headstones, and they've recently been adding the cause of death on headstones. Mm. So, we were having fun walking around and trying to see if we could find anything on there. Some of them, what did one of them say? It was... um oh, Ran over by... St- uh, their stagecoach yeah. wheels, I mean, <laughs> typical Old West stuff, Get kicked in the yeah. head by a horse, <laughs> yep. shit like that. Yep. Um, you can't drive your car into this cemetery like you can on some of the other ones. So the best way to get there is to park your car in the Clown Motel parking lot, which we kept driving along the street trying to figure yeah. out how to get into the cemetery. Yeah, we were behind it in the neighborhood trying to come up through streets and all yeah. that. Like, <laughs> Well, like, there's no other cars in there, and there's a reason. See it. <laughs> go, go park at the Clown Motel. <laughs> yep. So park at the Clown Motel, and then the entry gate to the cemetery is basically in their parking lot. Uh, most of the headstones there are made of wood, and then some of them do have the cool wooden cribs still around them. Yeah. It's an awesome cemetery. Yeah, the entry sign to it that tells you a little bit of the history is a piece of steel mm-hmm. and all the words were written out in welding rod yeah so the whole thing was written in weld <laughs> yeah it's a font so you know <laughs> weld font no <laughs> i tried well george devil davis is buried in the cemetery he was the first african-american in the town of tonopah like we mentioned he likes to play jokes on folks Did you get that play jokes on folks jokes on folks At the TLC, he was known for being a jokester while he was alive as well. He was loved around the community and even became a political leader in the African-American community. George eventually saved up enough money that he was able to open his own saloon called the Eureka. George may have seemed like a fun-loving guy, but he also had a dark side. He was very abusive to his wife, Ruth. One day, she had enough of him. On June 22, 1907, Ruth walked into a saloon and shot George in the back. She continued to fire until the gun went click. Ruth only served one year for the murder. Yeah, they said that they were able to easily prove uh, the abuse that he had done to her. Called and it so, a justified homicide. Yeah, so that's why they're like, nah, we're not really going to make her serve that much time. <laughs> yeah, we had to make it for a show. Yeah. yeah. Bina Varal came to Tonopah from New York sometime between 1906 to 1907. She wasn't coming into town to be a working girl like some of the women did back then. Mm. Rather, she was running away from authorities. She and her friend Isella Maison Brown. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. She had these two fancy names and then Brown. Yeah, well, Brown has an E at the end of it, so it looks fancy if you spell it right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were playing a love syndicate. They would claim to be these rich widows and seduce rich men into giving them money and gifts. They were able to acquire about $100,000 or about three and a quarter million in today's dollars by doing this. Mm, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one man fell in love with Bina, but she did not love him back. 
He went to authorities and had her arrested. For not loving him back, probably, huh? <laughs> Charging you with a broken heart. Can you do that, really? Well, back then, probably. Oh, okay. They, they were committing women for having menstrual cycles, for God's sakes, into the insane asylums. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> She's gone nuts. Lock her up. They were cause, calling people witches and then telling them that if they throw them in the water and they float, that they're a witch. Yeah. <laughs> if they drown, they're not. <laughs> yep. They drown, you're all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, during her trial, she pawned some diamond rings and was able to escape. She wasn't in Tonopah for long before she passed away from alcoholism. Her spirit likes to hang out at the Tonopah Historic Mining Park Visitor Center, and she's been known to be seen looking out the windows there. She must be hunting for a new man. Yeah, that's where all the money was coming out of, so it makes sense she'd want to be over there. At the visitor center? Well, no, in the mining area. <laughs> <laughs> thought maybe she's catching the local tourists. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's now talk about the Clown Motel. This place looks like it's straight out of a horror movie. Yes. Uh, pictures, Rob Zombie here. Yeah. Uh, it's painted in bright circus colors with clowns on every door and a giant clown out front. The Clown Motel was built in 1985 by Leona and Leroy. When they opened up the motel, they brought with them their father's collection of 150 clowns. That's a lot of clowns. Yeah. I think they're up to like 2,000 clowns now. Jesus. <laughs> well, in 2015, Ghost Adventures explored the motel. After the episode aired, people started mailing him clowns from all over the world, which would get them that 2,000 clowns. Yep. Yeah. Well, that same year, writer Christopher Sabella spent an entire month in the motel to experience the supernatural for himself. He wrote a comic book about it, and for $5, you can actually get online and download a digital copy of it. I meant to do it, and I did not, so I'm going to have to go back and do it. Yeah. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes for you guys so you can get it if you're interested in it. Right. In 2016, Joseph Kelly came to the motel to direct his film Clown Motel Lost Souls, and he came back again in 2019 to film Clown Motel Spirits Arise. The sequel. Yes. And I watched the trailers for these mm -hmm. and it is so fun because they included the cemetery in the movie. Mm -hmm. So the clowns are like coming out of the cemetery and then they're going over to the motel and you can see the trailer park in the background. I mean, it's legit. Everything that is in that movie is what this place is. <laughs> That's funny. Was it available on Amazon or Netflix or anything? Did you? Uh, the first see? one you could watch for free on YouTube. Okay. The second one, I want to say it was on Amazon Prime, but I could be wrong. Huh. What if Shudder or something like that has these? Yeah. And I meant to look more into it because there was seven films that were filmed there, but these are like the two more iconic ones. Mm -hmm. But they're all like clown this, clown that. So I don't know if the other ones that I didn't mention, I couldn't find who directed those. So I think that they were more like uh, Sundance film kind of films where they Indies. weren't. Mm -hmm. What did you call that? Indie. Independent yeah. films. Yeah, exactly. So... I don't know. I'll have to look more into that. But yeah, if we find more, I'll put some links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but if you guys are interested in booking a stay at what they call America's Scariest Motel, check out their website. And they do have new rooms now that are themed. So they have the It Room, the Exorcist Room, the Halloween Room, or the Friday the 13th Room. The new owner's trying to do more like horror-themed rooms. So right. these are the ones he's completed so far. It wasn't built to be a scary hotel motel. That's the funny thing. I know. It's just a clown motel. <laughs> yeah. They brought with them a collection. Yeah. And it just turned into a creepy thing for folks. I know. It wasn't like, it's not like they know of people that have died there. It's just so close to the cemetery. Right. And I've read a lot of things that a lot of these old mining towns, um, because there's so many uh, minerals in the ground, that the ghosts are a lot more active in areas like that. And there was a lot of deaths back then. I mean, even that old Tonopah Cemetery had a lot of headstones. Oh, yeah. And I think it was like 600 people are buried in that one cemetery. Yeah, there's a lot there. In 11 years, you know, they had a flu that came through and wiped out a big uh, section of people. So there is a lot of paranormal activity in the town itself. Mm. And once you go and start trying to attract it into an area, they may view that as like a portal or something, maybe. They've been invited in. Yeah. So that that's what's so funny about this place is it never was supposed to be that and it's now turned into it. Yeah. Well, we didn't stay at the hotel, but we did get inside and talk to the lady working in the front office. She was more than happy to show mm -hmm. us the large clown collection and she even gave us a brochure of the cemetery as well. So just stop in, take a peek around. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool. The lobby is packed full of clowns. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It looks like a child's room that they kind of organized. Yeah. But it's just full of stuff, you know, might be stuffed animals for a kid or whatever, but it's wild. <laughs> yeah. It's worth going and seeing at least just that mm -hmm. for sure. So, well, Tonopah is a fun town. And honestly, we still to this day talk about going back and spending more time there. Mm -hmm. um, we went to that barbecue joint while we were there. I still think about that as well. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, and we were only there for one day. So we weren't really able to see everything the town has to offer. And we would love to go back. And we're thinking maybe go back in the summer because mm -hmm. they do free star parties. And Tonopah is known for having like amazing night skies in the summer. So yeah, no yeah. air pollution and no light pollution because yeah. there's nothing around. Yep. There's a stargazing park that they built at the end of town hmm. and dedicated it to like one of the, um, I don't know, not an astronaut, but like, what do, what do you call those guys that look through telescopes? A astrologer. Yeah. Thank you. They dedicated it to a local astrologer that passed away. And so that park's there and it's got a big cement pad so you can go and set up your telescope and huh. you're away from the city lights. Cool. But what city lights there are in Tonopah. Yeah. And I don't know, who knows, maybe when we go back, we'll book a room at the Clown Motel this time. That would be fun. Mm -hmm, I think so. Yeah. Look forward to another podcast if that happens. <laughs> if we survive. If we survive. Maybe it'll be a live thing by that point in time. <laughs> yeah. That'd be fun. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. A stop on an adventure out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I want to let our listeners know that we have been offered by Apple to set up a subscriber channel. So we did. Yeah. Uh, I made that sound a lot more exclusive than it is. If you have a podcast, you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we call it the uh, Insider Series. And you can join our Insider Series subscription from the Apple Podcast app where we will be adding bonus content. 
Uh, this may be a more convenient way if you're interested in more content and would like to help fuel the adventures here. Yeah. Uh, there'll be much of what is available on Patreon. Uh, however, some bonus content will still be exclusive to the Patreon supporters. Um, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I think it's six and a half bucks a month subscribing to it. Yeah. And I've been loading uh, a lot of the past archive stuff that was in Patreon. I've been putting that up there. And if you subscribe to the Apple deal, we will be putting in uh, the checking in deal. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out famously, but we'll nail it down. So when we're on the road, we'll be checking in nightly and kind of recapping our adventure for the day. Yeah. Things like that was kind of fun. And uh, what else do we have on there? Bonus content that pertains to episodes when we get that out. We've been doing the series of last famous last words mm -hmm. or not famous or not. Things like that. So all that will be available on the Apple subscription. So so there you have it. Are you going to uh, send us off with one of your amazing, uh, so looked forward to and sought after and so often repeated uh, dad jokes? I am. Um, I got this one from the book you gave me <sighs> for my, my B-Day. <laughs> okay. So why was the big cat disqualified from the race? Why was the big cat disqualified from the race? Tell yeah. Just tell me. I can't. Uh, I don't know. Because he was a cheetah. <laughs> a cheetah? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> like a cheater, you know? Cheetah? <laughs> yeah. I think Marley's over here rolling her eyes in her sleep. <laughs> that was it. You didn't have a backup for that? That was the winner? Do you want another one? Oh, no. I was okay. just making sure. Okay. I got a lot, so we uh, can yeah, go you through. Can, we don't want to burn them all out at one time. Okay. I agree. <laughs> all right. Save them, you know? <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us again and supporting the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. If you want to stay up to date, uh, as always, we are most active on the Instagram. At Rebel at Large. We post photos of our adventures on our website. Rebelatlarge.com, where you'll find links to our new merch store, Patreon, if you want to help us fuel our adventures, email if you want to get in touch with us, as well as links to our other social deals. Indeed. All right. We'll talk to you all here in a couple of weeks. Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. So he didn't file a claim on the suit until he was finished harvesting his hay. <laughs> he didn't file a claim on the site, not the suit. Oh. Is it Odie or Odie? I don't know. Okay. Bringing with him, it should be bringing with them. Calb, say his name again. Rower. They reopened the 42-room hotel that same year. There's also 10 more on there. Huh? Oh, I said 42? You did. The heater's kicking on. She and her friend, Isela Menzo. Maison. Maison. Isela is correct, right, though? Yep. Maison. Okay.